Welcome to Thrive Radio, expert visionary and innovative business, life, and relationship advice to live a life of doing the impossible with your host, Amy Montgomery. Montgomery, entrepreneur and digital marketing agency owner. Today, my guests are Larry Collier and Tamisha Sales. They're the founders of Educational and Community Strategies. They help organizations navigate and create better diversity and inclusion strategies. Guys, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. Yes. Yeah. I'm excited for our discussion today. And I feel like you guys have a unique perspective because you're in Alabama and yeah. you've really been in the heart of where a lot of people have experienced discrimination. And we talked about that before the podcast when we first met. And I'm originally from Washington State. And I think that sometimes where you live in the United States, you see things differently. So I'm so excited to get your guys' perspective. (laughs) Can both of you share your journey and why you decided to start this consulting business? Our journey with education community strategies is we were in our respective careers. I was in a nonprofit community sector and Dr. Collier was in the education space. We don't want to take you all the way back, so we'll just start there. But I came into the nonprofit sector and at the entry level at the college. And while working my way up into leadership, I noticed disparities, inequities from the way staff was treating clients, from the way we were hiring, from the way we even creating partnerships out in the community the messages we were communicating with inside. And from inside the organization, I spoke up when I could and made change where I could, but you only can do so much from the inside. But through my work, one of the roles in the nonprofit sector, you have to go out and form partnerships and work with other organizations. So that's where I met Dr. Collier because my nonprofit and his school district partnered together to serve some students. And so I crossed paths with Dr. Larry Collier and we just began to work from there. I'll turn it over. Okay. I will start with my journey. I'll take you back prior to me going into education. I started my journey in the military where I served in the Air Force. In those 10 years, I've also had an opportunity to see disparities among the airmen within the military branch. And so as I matriculated from there into the education space, where I spent 27 years in public education, where I served as a classroom teacher, coach, assistant principal, district level administrator. So in those experiences, I noticed a lot of disparities among those happening with students, with teachers. And so in that work, I began to analyze and begin to think about what are some things that I could do to make a difference in the lives of particularly our students. And so I saw a lot of those students that were placed in those environments where there was a lot of disparities and they had negative impact because of where they came from. And so because of that, those things generated this passion for us to start this business that we're in today. And so that's why we're in this space of diversity, equity, inclusion, primarily because of inequities, discrimination that we've seen for many years in this space. And so we're excited now about this opportunity as we go forward with educational and community strategies to, to, to do this work for our business. Yeah, so when our paths crossed, we just started talking. We're still employed with our employers. So we started talking. I said, hey, I noticed this around the families and individuals we serve. We're serving some of your students in your district. And he started sharing exactly what he shared with you about the students he served. And so we're like, hey, we got to do something about it. So without a plan, he retired. I left my job. I won't 
near retirement, but not quite retirement. And we just started education community strategies without a business plan. We wouldn't advise that to anyone, but we we're just so passionate about what we were called to do. And we've been running since. And primarily we're focused on people, plans, and processes. These are the three P's that we actually examine to try to help organizations be even more successful as they do their work. I love that. It's amazing. So far walking through your journey, what are you grateful for? For me, for one thing I'm grateful for us working together is that we both experience not only personal experience, but professional experiences around the work that we do. So when we go into organizations and we have presentations and trainings, we're talking from experience, not a textbook. And so we can really connect with those we serve because we've lived it and we experienced it, whether it's in leadership or whether it's an actual employee inside of an organization or a leader in a school district. So I'm grateful for all those difficult bumps in the road that we experienced, because now we can use it to serve others. And so to add to that, I'm certainly grateful for the opportunity for us to be able to go into organizations to help them to amplify the stories of, of the organization mm-hmm. or individuals, to amplify their stories, because we know that's important. That's what determines what people need in organization when you listen to their stories. And we're grateful to be to have that opportunity. And we started this from grassroots. We didn't have any resources or any ties or networks to, to build this business. And so we started from the ground up and we're grateful for that because we have learned a lot from building from the grassroots. So what are some of the struggles you've seen in organizations that really need help with diversity, equity, and inclusion? One of the things we've noticed is that many organizations, they struggle with just the simple fact of not knowing where to begin to start this work, simply because they have this alignment issue with their vision, mission, and values. They can't connect that work to DNI because they think it's something different. In our role, we've been trying to impress upon them that this work should be a part of the fabric of your strategic plan. So it's, it should be every, built in, embedded into your everyday work. And so they struggle with that. They think it's something separate, but it's not. And so we work to try to organize to make that alignment shift so they can begin to understand that. And so I think, to me, you can share some more thoughts about it, but that's a big one that we see that they struggle with. Another struggle we often encounter is um, they think they're further along in the DEI than they actually are. They have the trainings, they have the guest speakers, the luncheons, and they have conversations. And so they're ready to implement a DEI action plan. They may actually have a plan, but when we come into the organizations around the implementation stage of the action plan, they realize, wait a minute, we're not measuring anything. Actually, we're not setting metrics. We're not setting goals. We have a plan. We know we want to do this and this, but we're not measuring anything. So oftentimes organizations think they're further along in their DEI journey than they actually are because one important thing in this work is to measure to whether you're trying to increase representation of certain groups or you're trying to diversify your funding streams. You've got to have those metrics in place to, to understand where you are and where you're trying to go. I'd like to add one more thought. Another thing they kind of struggle with is this notion of not knowing and when they establish their DEI committee, they really don't understand fully the roles and responsibilities of that particular group because they think it's something totally different in how to function in the organization. So they struggle with that identity 
And so we help them with the structure to build that and support that. That makes sense. So how does an organization start a conversation around diversity? We have a great resource on our website. It's titled Scaling the Conversation. That we It's free to download. But inside that resource, we list six simple ways to start this conversation that where it's not forced upon employees. And these simple ways is just creating safe space to talk about issues. And this can happen through a book club. Choose a book and whoever wants to participate, participate in a book club. It can be a focus group or a listening session. It could be inviting guest speakers in. It could be providing volunteer opportunities for your employees, partnering with other businesses or organizations that are totally different from yours so they can experience or get exposed to different things. Focus groups, book clubs, listening sessions, inviting guest speakers in. We live in the world of virtual meetings. And there are so many professionals out there that you can go on LinkedIn, inbox someone who is like an influencer around this space. Have them zoom into a meeting. Many would do it for free. And whoever wants to attend, allow them to attend. So these are like six simple ways that you can start a conversation around the not make it mandatory and it's not forced. And yeah. And then some of the things we think that's important once that conversation is started is, is to leave the assumptions and try to leave and mitigate that bias. Leave it at the door. Don't bring it into that conversation. And we want people to be able to bring their authentic self to those conversations. Don't hide your identity. Be true to who you are. And it should be no topic should be off the table. Everybody should be able to fully discuss whatever it is is on their mind as it relates to DEI. And so when those things begin to happen, then you can begin to honor your growth and honor all those great things that are happening. And then you can begin to express gratitude to everyone that's involved. So we think that's a great way to start and continue the conversation. So what are some strategies to help get buy-in from your team? We think that it starts with leadership. So leadership really has to take this by the reins and be able to drive this because when they begin to model that behavior, people begin to gain trust. They begin to look and admire what leaders are doing in the organization. So that's the first step is to make sure that leaders understand the needs of their people. Oftentimes leaders miss understand the value of understanding those significant events that may happen in that region or a national event that impact the workers inside that organization. So when leaders are able to connect with that and then give people that platform to be able to talk about how they feel about those events, that adds value into buy-in for the organization. Because D&I, it should be a top-down, but everyone has a role with this. Everyone in the organization can participate in this process. We also, we offer up a, an acronym that everyone can do, including leadership. We say to create buy-in and to become an ally, you must care, C-A-R-E. That means create trust, act, recognize, and exit that comfort zone. So to create trust, you must, your walk must align with your talk. And then to act, that's reactively and proactively. That proactive inside of an organization you're examining your policies, your practices, and you're making changes where needed. And that reactive act is when you see bias, when you recognize that you speak up in that moment, you call it out. And then to recognize, that means it's okay to recognize that we do not know everything. It's okay to know that you may not have the right words to say in that moment, but one of the easiest ways to 
gain buy-in and be an ally, just ask, what can I do? What can I do for you? And then finally, that E in care is to exit that comfort zone. Being an ally, showing up for others, it can be uncomfortable. You may be the only person you feel like you're left on an island by yourself when you're speaking up for others. And you may lose friends along the way. You may gain friends along the way. But you just got to be prepared for that. You just got to be prepared for that. Exiting your comfort zone. And I would like to add one final tip. We believe that leaders should partner with employees in this work as well. Because when they start listening, have those listening sessions, and people begin to lend, that's all they're going to lend to buying you. So it's important that leaders partner with employees. So what are some indicators that you need to create something more sustainable in your organization when it comes to DEI? One indicator is that is when you look around the organization and you notice that there's nothing being measured. There's nothing happening. There's no progress. You don't really know the sense of direction where you're going. And so that's why it's important to put metrics in place, put those indicators in place so you can begin to understand what that looks like. A measure such as diversity measure. The people you have in organizations that are diverse or the retention rates, or promotion rates, who's getting promoted and who's not, or things as simple as who is invited to a meeting, or who's been placed on a committee, and who's not. Is there equity in that? And so you can look at those things and begin to identify if you're having issues or not. Another way is to examine your reputation that you have out in the community. What are people saying about your business, your organization? What is word on the street about it? Is it that you have to know someone who knows someone to get hired there or all their staff members go to this church or your reputation outside of your organizations, how others view you can tell a lot about your culture, tell a lot about your DE and I metrics, your work there. I like that because how many times do you see an organization that will send out a survey to get feedback from the employees on things? like this and none of the employees want to be honest on the survey because they can tell who filled the survey out and they don't want to be retaliated and then so then you don't get real accurate results from surveys and so i'm glad you guys mentioned some of the metrics because i think that so many people run to let's just survey to see how we're doing and it's eh, that doesn't really work One of the most important things when you're collecting data is surveys are useful, but also get survey individuals who have no ties to your organization, just like someone in the community that has no ties because they can give you the real scoop. Also collect data different ways, hold a focus group, surveys, social media, get your data different ways so you can really get the holistic view of your organization and where you need to strength, where you're strong at and where you need to put a little work in it. Yeah. So how can coworkers support each other when they see bias in the workplace? This is a piece that, that a lot of organizations struggle with because they think they have to do something grand. And you really don't. It, it starts with an individual. They can begin to just recognize their own personal biases and begin to educate themselves about these particular biases and how they can begin to overcome or to begin to try to mitigate. Will you ever eliminate your biases? Probably not but you can begin to mitigate it, slow it down to the point where it doesn't become harmful. And that's where we try to educate people is that it's so important not to allow your bias to cause harm to others within the organization. So call it out when it happens and be willing to accept the criticism 
or that feedback, that's important too. So when someone calls someone's out that they're doing this, they really have to be receptive of that in order for a positive change to happen. Tamisha, did you want to add anything to that? I think that's, I think that's. Well, I've got one other thing I would, I would like to say though, is that you cannot remain silent in this work. So if you're seeing this, these biases happening in your organization, you have to say something. Otherwise, silence could be considered as being complicit. And so you don't want that. So you really need to speak out. And that's the most difficult part for people to do right now all across America is speak out against bias, discrimination, microaggressions, stereotypes. That's how it begins to manifest itself. But it's very harmful to the organization. But it can start as simple as calling it out saying this is exactly what it is. Yeah, the nation's climate, the local community climates right now, is making people uneasy to speak out and it's really silencing a lot of people. So it takes individuals who are willing to face that criticism to keep this conversation going. So it won't set us back decades. Yes, call it out when you see it because silence, you are complicit when you remain silent. So can you share some of your client success stories with us? Okay, so we thought about this and we've worked with diverse organizations, but in this work, client success stories, we, there's no finish line in DEI work. So it's like you're running a marathon with not a finish line. So instead of celebrating a touchdown, you have to celebrate those small wins along the way. So some stand out in our mind is we've had, we work with the organization whose DEI efforts were being perceived as performative by the organization. And they were just, their committee was falling apart, their efforts were stalling. And so we facilitated a focus group. And from that focus group, it's like it breathed new life into their initiative, into their organization, and it provided them with directions. They're like, hey, we know who we are. We know the identity of this group and what the work we need to do from a focus group. So we celebrate that as a win with our clients. And another example is we facilitated a training with leaders of a nonprofit. And this DEI conversation was new to them. Some of them were like, do we really need it? We have diversity in our organizations, but we led a training. It was diversity, equity, inclusion, diversity and inclusion, and where does equity fits in? And from that training, that hesitancy, that resistance to this conversation kind of disappeared. And then the whole network was like, hey, we've got to move forward in this work. A simple training led to Resistance being removed and this organization taking a serious conversation about this work and putting a plan in place. So we like to celebrate that as a win for our clients too, how just starting a conversation, defenses were let down, the guards were let down, and you're like, hey, we can do this work. It's not as bad as, or controversial as it seems. It's just recognizing humanity in this work. Yeah. yeah. But we also wanted to remind our clients that when they have these successes, not to get complacent, not to get become satisfied, because this work is ever-changing, it's ever-evolving. And so you have to constantly be measuring and monitoring and keeping your finger on the pulse mm-hmm. to see how your organization is moving. Yes, yeah, celebrate, but you have to also remind yourself not to become complacent. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I heard somebody say on LinkedIn, actually, 
somebody made a somewhat a, of a controversial post. And I say controversy because of all the people that were commenting on it, but they had said having, as far as we were talking about some of the assessments and things and having diversity in the workplace is not just making sure you have one person of color that is working in the office or one person on the board. And I think that there has been in some places, there's been this mindset of, oh, if we just check the box versus going into that deeper assessment that you guys were talking about of really making, maintaining this, making sure that you're actually tracking and that, you know, there is, there's some follow-up to that. And it's not just this check, check the box type of a thing. And that's where the culture piece come in, where you have to really redesign your culture, shape the systems and processes that are in place those structures, those policies, all that is what drives this culture. And so checking the box will not make that happen. Yeah, definitely. So many dimensions of diversity. When you get into this work, you may start trying to increase representation of certain racial and ethnicities, but then you have ability levels, you have education level, you have economic status, you have parenting status, single moms, single dads, adoptive parents that that impacts the organization. It impacts the organization. And you got to really look at your policies and procedures, your structure of your organization. So it's fun work, but it's intentional work. You have to be intentional about being a diverse, equitable, and inclusive organization. Yeah. Sometimes that may mean removing some of those systemic barriers that are in place that's blocking the. And so that's where it gets touchy. Yeah. Because you want to hold on to, to, with, to tradition. So you release that. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. It's even with like disabilities, I'd say that's one of them too, that like I, I have, I was born dyslexic. So I had somebody that actually discriminated against me because I was born with dyslexia. I'm a genius in reading and writing. And at the time I just couldn't, I couldn't speak. And I've overcome that now. I'm a great speaker, obviously. But yeah, even in that type of a situation where, you know, having a mindset that, oh, you're dyslexic, that means you can't, you can't ever live up to my expectations. And I it, now I celebrate. There's actually on LinkedIn, it, there's a, it's considered a dyslexic thinking is considered a skill now. And so there's some progress around that, but it's the same thing where you have to, people's mindsets have to change. And if they don't change, they really do need to leave or your organization's not going to move forward. Exactly. Yeah. So what do you think has been your truth that has gotten you this far in your journey? For me, I think it's been the ability to be able to bring my authentic self to this space, not only in education, community strategy, but all throughout my journey for the last 40 years. And so not hiding who I am, my identity, being able to share my perspective, speak on my behalf, on what I believe based on my lived experiences and the research and everything else that I've been involved in. And I should be able to bring that to the table, be able to voice that. And people should be able to listen because that's my identity. That's my perspective. And so because of that's been my truth along the way that has enhanced my journey. And for me, my truth along the way is something's in my eye. I'm sorry. It's okay not to know everything. And it's okay to say I don't have the answer for that. So I just remind myself of that because um, 
it gets, you feel like you have to be the expert or sometimes, but it's okay to say, I don't have an answer. I don't know, but I'll get you to that answer to you. So that's the truth. I just remind myself of it's okay not to know everything. Yeah. So if you're able to give yourself one piece of advice when you first started out in your journey, what would it be? Well, with this journey with education and community strategies, just looking back on the past few years, I think it would be more of do not underestimate the value of marketing and branding as you try to drive your business. That is essential for that for you to actually grow and thrive. And you don't really learn that along the way. No one really speaks about it, but it's invaluable. And we think that building those ties and those networks that you do not have that has to happen as well because small business, we need people in order to be a small business. And so to make that happen, you have to be connected. And for to not beat yourself up about time and balance, you try to be all things to all people. But when you're starting a journey of creating a small business and you one of the reasons you create a small business is for freedom. You want more time with your family. You want more time to do the things you love, but in the beginning, you're going to have to burn some midnight oil to get it going, get it moving, get that momentum. And so for me, I experienced mom guilt, but the piece of advice I would give myself is don't beat yourself up. It's only temporary. You start reaping what you sow. And so it's all right. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Definitely. So if there are people that are listening that would love to work with you, what's the best way to contact you? Yes, they can go to our website and click contact us, educationalcommunitystrategies.com, or you can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter at Educational and Community Strategies. Perfect. And I'll put your links down below. Thank you both for coming on today and sharing your expertise. Thank you for having us. Likewise. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. If you're listening and you would like more information about this podcast and upcoming shows, you can visit a call to thrive.com. Thank you everyone and have